welcome to Unboxing, Play and Profit for the Gaming Curious. I'm Lane Nooney. I'm Joost van Verde. And we are here digging deep on why games matter in today's economy. On the docket today, Wednesday, December 6th. Lucia. Do you know why you're here? That's right, listeners. We've got live reactions to the GTA 6 trailer. We'll be giving you stats, history, analysis, and more. We'll also be talking about our just accepted roundtable at the Game Developers Conference next spring. All that and more with your two very sleepy co-hosts. But first, we've got some catching up to do. Ugh, good morning, Yost. Good morning. This morning. You already gave away to me that you weren't showered and you didn't comb your stubble, I guess. It's the release of one of the biggest franchises in the industry. What do you sleep is for? <laughs> That's right. Everyone. That's right. I've been having to hold myself at bay since I found out last night. They dropped the trailer early. This is a great way. This is a great time to uh, announce layoffs because <laughs> no one will know. No one will yeah. know that you. What industry coverage is like quietly coming out this morning, you know? It's <laughs> somewhere on the back end. We got fired. No one cares. As you may have guessed, we are gonna watch the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer. But first, Yost, how are you? We haven't had a show for two weeks. Yost went all the way to the exotic locale of Connecticut and oh, was yes. unavailable for recording. We ended up, or I ended up uh, driving out, and I can never quite make the Wi Fi work at these hotels because I'm stupid. Uh, not because the Renaissance Hotel in Providence was anything wrong with it. It's been a busy work week. Like at the end of the year, is like this sprint towards getting things shipped and out. And it's the same for schools as it is for corporations. So I end up doing just that. You know, I'm, I'm mopping the floor with the tap running. What's going on with you? Because what Renaissance Fair or hipster event have you visited this week? I guess we haven't even talked about our Thanksgiving, so we don't we can't catch up on all of this. I did text you at I think 1.30 yesterday morning asking if we could start recording the podcast late because I was up late working on a gingerbread house. <laughs> I just have so many questions. So was this a particularly large gingerbread as like a gingerbread cathedral? What's uh, like why is it's it? it's larger so I was actually doing a cardboard mock-up of this gingerbread house. So I was building out the design in cardboard first, and then I will use those cardboard pieces as stencils to cut out the planes. But my girlfriend wanted a gingerbread barn for which this is not a thing that you can find uh, schematics for on the internet. So I had to do them by hand. And <laughs> your, your, your look of confusion is so Gingerbread so right barn. It's a, I, I didn't know that was an option. But I they mean, had to request that of another it, person. <laughs> if it's a structure, you can make it out of gingerbread. Gingerbread is surprisingly robust. In a fit of affectionate stupidity, agreed to make her a gingerbread barn. I was last night trying to figure out how to make a gamble roof out of gingerbread, and I was just like, I was so fucking tired. Jesus. Um, yeah. That's it's fine, because my party, my holiday party is this Friday. Are you coming? I'm I sent you my invite. You're coming? No. No? You didn't I, even tell I, me you're not. This is where I find out you're not coming yes. to my party? Oh, I was going to actually let like a student know and then relay a game of telephone. <laughs> no, I uh, I looked at the invitation this morning. Here's, here's the reason why. So 
we are coming up on the deadline for middle school for the old for the older kids for the ten year old, which is Thursday, which has been a six month plus harrowing journey, particularly for my lovely wife, who on Friday gets a free pass to go do whatever she feels she needs to do to let go of that stress, which means that I'm on deck. I will try to make it. If I can find some backup, I will. I will come around. Oh no, that totally makes sense. That's my. That's my reason. You know, I'm not gonna mess with your wife. I've met her. <laughs> you met her. Like she's I'm not. Brutal. I'm not getting involved in that. You know, she what, can do what whatever I will, she what wants. I would, what I would like to ask you is, uh, you know, since you what are, is she, what a, does she want for Christmas? Is that looking? <laughs> no, no. I I know what she wants. She's very very specific about this thing. What I want to ask you is like, so since you are now a gingerbread architect and master builder. Can you uh, tell me, send me your recipes or send me your programming docs here. Show me the code. Because then I can make one with the kids. So yeah, first of all, I have to say, I can tell you and all our listeners my secret. I have had good luck with recipes from a website called Sally's Baking Addiction. (laughs) Sally'sBakingAddiction.com. And she has a recipe for gingerbread cookies. And I'm using that for the house. Kits suck. They taste terrible. They taste like dust and I would never use them. You can find the stencil layout for a simple house on the internet. That's very easy. So you print that on a paper, you cut it out with scissors, you make the dough, you chill it overnight, you roll it flat, you use the stencil to cut out the shape, and then you make, I recommend royal icing. It's a little more work, but it actually, it, it dries like cement. It's very, very solid. And the other thing I will remind everyone is don't mix up your baking powder and your baking soda. Yeah. <laughs> it's it easy. The, the fundamentals. To do. So. That's really cool. Okay. Thank uh, you. I will play that back with my kids and then like get to work. It sounds like a perfect afternoon of finding whatever inefficiency to do with a 10 year old. If you can make the dough ahead of time and just do mm. that like the night before and let it, cause you need it, you need to let it chill. And so a child is not going to want to sit through. What do we do? Well, the dough chills and the dough will cook better if it has 12 hours to chill. It has to chill for at least three, but you All know, right. I would make that almost as a secret ahead of time. And then daddy's got the dough, you know, <laughs> You know, I like that. I, I like that idea. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Ginger Theft Auto. What a transition. All right, right out, of, right out right, of... Right out of that shit. That's right. That's right. We're done talking about the holiday season. Merry Christmas yeah. to you, sir. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen here. Right? All right. So, I've been so waiting. We can, yeah, we have not seen this. We did promise a video. We determined it was too annoying to do. I, I would like to, you know, to remind the fans, we don't have a producer. So that's why this podcast does not have things like timestamps or like, you know? uh, copy edited show notes is a thing I've also been noticing in our Substack posts. So, so as we're talking about it, it's, like, I mean, it's just like a, a blowing up all around me, right? So some quick stats to kind of give you a sense of where we are in the world. Oh yeah, because it's it's Grand Theft Auto 6 day. Let's, yeah. To all who celebrate. To all those who observe Grand Theft Auto. So it's uh, one of the fastest gaming announcements on Twitter in the history of Twitter, apparently. 
It what was, does uh, fastest mean in this in this in this I'm, category? I tried. So last night, elite. So it's um, it gains viewers faster. It has reached sixty million views on Rockstar's YouTube channel within twelve hours. Damn. Which which is seems like a lot. I'm collecting some data on it now, so I can give you a more solid uh, comparison later. But that's a lot. So everybody's very excited about this. The anticipation of Wall Street is also kind of intense, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But so the you, you could see how even last night I would get these reports from these analysts coming in and they're like starting to share their predictions and their forecasts and all stuff. And they're super optimistic. They really believe that this is going to be the biggest thing. So the expectation off bat, simply put, is 30 million units sold in the first 12 months. It still seems like a hedged number in some ways. It seems kind of low which is assuming a 20% attach rate across all of the install base of the current consoles mm-hmm. out there. So people are very excited in general. Like Grand Theft Auto 5 sold about 35 million copies in its first 12 months. The expectation is that it will sell a little less, maybe a little more, depending, but similar to that range, which is a different jump from, say, GTA 4 to 5. GTA 4 sold 13 million copies in the first 12 months. So it tripled by GTA 5. I don't think they're going to triple with GTA 6, but it will yeah. probably be in that same range, like 30 to 35 or whatever. So, so people are when, stoked. Yeah, incredible. When we talk about speed in a YouTube video, the measure of virality is typically, at, at this stage in our, in our social media history, it's how fast to 100 million views. And so we're at 60 million right now. I have not fact-checked this, but what most of the results come back for is that the video that holds the reigning fastest virality, fastest speed to 100 million, uh, Mm. is a music video for the Korean boy band BTS single, Butter. Reached 100 million views in under a day. So... We'll see. I don't think the GTA 6 trailer is going to beat that, but I guess we'll wait and see. You know, BTS is life, so, you know, yeah, there's yeah, that. But yeah. <laughs> not for so, me, but for many people. <laughs> Yost, what is your first GTA memory? Uh, I think it was Vice City. I mean, I, I grew up, I'm, a, I'm Gen X, so like a lot of the music that they'll play, like that Miami Vice, I grew up on Miami Vice, so having Vice City and like just watching the pink and orange colors and like driving around a faux Miami or whatever. Like I was so much fun. So that's the, the first memory I really have. And it was also the kind of game where I, you know, I overcame this thing where I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And I so often find myself completely lost in games. And with GTA, I was like, you get this incredible sense of mastery. And so that immediately solidified my emotional connection to it. So I'd say that's the one that really resonated with me because of the vibe, the music, the, the fun that I had. And I would I remember I would sit on the beach and just watch the sunset. Yeah, <laughs> but you're younger, you have nothing but time. The idea of doing it now as a grown up with kids, you're like that's a waste. But I would sit there and just like, wow, it's so amazing. That's my first. What about yours? Mine is also Grand Theft Auto Vice City. So I I never played the prior top down GTA's. I was I remember I, I I have this was the game that got me into console gaming. So I had hmm. really always been a PC gamer as a kid. It must have been my sophomore year of college. So 2000, Mm -hmm. I was at a friend's house, at a friend's dorm room, and they turned on this game, Grand Theft Auto, Vice City, and I just was mesmerized. And they put the controller in my hand, and I kind of figured it out. And I don't think I had any idea what I was doing, but I just looked at what was happening. Like, it was just beautiful. It was so Mm -hmm. fast. 
The colors were so luminous. The feeling of controlling the car felt so nice. There was just something, it felt like I was looking at something I had never seen before. This is my benchmark for games that really stick with me. Do I feel like I'm having an experience unlike one I've never had with a computer before, basically? And there's a small set of games that kind of fall into that category. After playing that, when I think I became a junior in college, I wanted to play it so badly myself that I got a refurbished PS2 on eBay and bought Grand, bought uh, GTA Vice City. And that was the beginning of me having consoles. Um, I, uh, I think that's amazing. It solidifies like the business model and the emotional connection. Like they're, they all, the, all those things work at the same time here, right? It's like you just become introduced to this new world. And that's also kind of why they set it up that way, right? It's a, yep. That was the plan all along kind of thing. I, uh, you know? I, I really enjoyed San Andreas. It felt like, yeah, such a beautiful expansion. And it was the time when the game still, the solving the mission still felt puzzle-like. I felt mm-hmm. by the time we got to GTA V, everything felt very much on a rail. It felt more like you were following a cinematic rather than trying to derive a solution out of components in the world. I just remember in Vice City or GTA, you would have this kind of impossible mission and you could solve it by like, you know, driving a dump truck up to the back of the the mission house and coming in from behind or deciding to parachute down. And I, I felt like a lot of that kind of space for emergent behavior in the mission design really kind of winnowed as the missions got more closed and it was mm. more about like following a process you know like doing a bank heist and now you have to go around this corner and now there's a cutscene. and i really never cared about gta 4 i don't know if it was the new york city setting or what but i i missed the sense of landscape i just felt like the game had no vastness to it and i liked five but i never finished it it was it was just so long and i didn't uh-huh. narratively care about any of the characters and i never got into the online world i, I was never a gta online person Interesting. Yeah, GTA 4 for me was the weakest one, but I still enjoyed it because it was in New York. You know, that's really where I started to, like, they really did a good job with the, the driving and, the, and the, the mechanics of the cars and that kind of stuff. Andreas was good. San Andreas was good because they introduced flying, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Once you unlock the flying bit, you're like, I'm just going to go park this plane wherever I want and just zip around. And that was so freeing, even in the context of that game. Plus the vibe there too. Like if I told you earlier, I grew up on Miami Vice and all that. You know, once I was a teenager in some suburb in the middle of nowhere in the Netherlands, yes, I was listening to Public Enemy and NWA and all that sort of music. And so you're like, it gave me a space that I could imagine it what it would be like without having ever been there. But it sort of rhymed with everything I'd seen. And then you learn along the way the level of detail that goes through in order to accomplish that. Right. So the rock star, what I I've come to appreciate about them is like their push into immersion is is, is like without limits. So they will, uh, you know, make it, they make the neighborhoods a certain way, not because they take a bunch of pictures and then try to, re, you know, represent it accurately. The characters in a Russian neighborhood, if you bump into them, they will have seven, eight different responses in their local language. They speak Russian. They don't speak English, and so. That sort of level of immersion, make, trying to make it as real as possible, as opposed to, say, Assassin's Creed, where like every 
NPC, the crowd has two lines and it, it, it breaks the immersion, right? If you keep bumping into them. That I really appreciated. And then I ended up, I guess my claim to fame is that I was part, I was a voice actor in a Battle of K Tony, K Tony, an expansion for uh, uh, one of the editions. Oh, um, I maybe remember you saying this before. That was my big thing. So we had um, a guest speaker and you're like, yeah, everybody should come. And so he would invite all these like students to come do voices. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to check this out. And I did. So they put me in a studio with three pages of script. I'm just some bystander in a crowd at a club. But it was interesting to see in like the hundreds of people that they then would to basically give it as rich of a tapestry of voices and characters as, as you can. So are you are you in the credits or is it one of those roles where you're not even mentioned? I am, but I put my brother's name up just to mess with him. <laughs> this is like a shout out well, to my All right, are we are we ready to are we ready to rock and roll this trailer? Let's do this. I've been waiting. We, we, you know we ready are we ready to relive our Ernstwile youths and, and or whatnot? Be, or be deeply disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready happen. for it. Okay. I mean it feels likely at this age, but okay. Roll the tape. All right. Roll the tape. That looks fun. What do you think? So interesting. A lot of things it feels like they're they're doing right, going back to the iconic Vice City experience, but it seems like expanding that world, really taking a kind of what has Florida become in a kind of contemporary political environment, which is also a space for our sort of our worst laws, our most idiotic people. The moments where you like, clearly we're going to have to take TikTok videos of people, which is, you know, that's going to be a feature in the game. Uh, trying to blend that sense of the, the smooth sort of liquid nightlife with that unique version of Southern hillbilly that is like the Florida wetlander, right? I imagine there's going to be a lot of good political critique and hot take in this without ever taking itself too seriously. And I, I don't even want to look at the internet's response to them having a female main character. My assumption is you can choose between either that girl or that guy. That would be my assumption. Um, mm. But I actually don't know. Uh, Yost, what are, what are, this looks super fun and I would buy it immediately. What are your thoughts? I agree. I, I think they did a good job picking Florida as the setting. And like that yeah. leaves the most sort of, you know, room and possibility space here to just formulate some kind of critique. At the same time, the graphics look great. I'm very impressed. The transition to like the current generation of devices, like you can see it, like 4K, all that you know, the sort of the richness, like you saw that scene with the flamingos, there's a lot of movement, a lot of different things going on at, in the screen at the same time. So that feels very rich. There's an opulence to it. The gameplay, I don't think, I, th I think that takes the back seat here a little bit. You know what you're getting into. Like, yeah, it's going to be yeah, high car chases and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I have zero questions about what I'll be doing in this game. But so then that kind of makes, if I add it all up, it makes it also entirely predictable, right? It's like, okay, how is this going to blow my mind? What's the novelty here? Like the big thing with GTA V was like, oh, three protagonists, right? And then on top of that, the online component. Yeah. This one has two? Okay, female protagonists. I don't think oh. that's necessarily such a big innovation at this point. So so a couple things. I'm reading some other stuff on the internet, trying to get some confirmation on this. On Variety, they say that GTA 6 stars Lucia, the franchise's first female protagonist. 
Lucia is the main character alongside an unnamed male lead. So it's not quite clear to me whether they're doing a Assassin's Creed Valhalla situation, which is you choose the gender of your character, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. if you will just be playing as Lucia. I, I can't quite tell from the trailer. I mean, you can sit there and say that's not an innovation, but I would say that plenty of swaths of the hardcore gamer market would disagree. I'm sure there's already a bunch of fucking edgelords posting insufferable YouTubes about this. And the thing that I kind of like <laughs> about this, the thing that I kind of like is that like Rockstar is in a position now where this IP is so sentimented, it will hit blockbuster status in no time without an inch of effort that they can front load it with a female protagonist and everyone's going to buy it and play it anyway. To complain about that, to be up in arms about it, it's just going to mean that you're missing out, right? I mean, this is not to say that like the capitalism is our best bet to equality or something, but there, there is something compelling in the, you Wait, have what enough- what did you say? <laughs> I'm not trying to claim that like equity in the market is how we find like political freedom, but uh. there is something compelling in a company that knows it can't lose deciding, okay, we're, we have the sort of the freedom to make this choice because of the market position. And so we're just going to do it and fuck anybody who doesn't like it. I, I think that's cool. I think that's exactly how Rockstar is always positioned and imagines itself, right? Its job is not to facilitate, it's to it's to agitate. I think the, I mean, there's a few, it, it, it rhymes a little bit with, uh, I forget the name of this one game, I think it's a Ubisoft title, where you basically have a whole bunch of these sort of characterized like rednecks in some religious cult, and then of course there's a lot oh, of Oh yeah, the, you're talking about the Far Cry series. Yeah, that's the one. And they, they try to tackle this, but they don't do it with the nuance and the scale. No, that was, I believe that was Far Cry 4. Far Cry mm. 4 was one of my COVID plays. That was, a, it was like, here's a big AAA game I've never played before that I should just do because I have unending hours of time. And that game just, it got hyper repetitive at a certain point. The mission design was not really diverse enough to create mm -hmm. the kind of world bleed to make it interesting. And yeah, it was very underdeveloped i think as a space yeah mm -hmm. it didn't feel lived in really you, you you could see the stitching between the seams i would yeah. say fairly quickly that's what i also have a just cause like it those are more sort of playgrounds based around a game mechanic rather than a social critique this one has the game mechanics here yeah, whatever you know what you're gonna get and so it's really about okay what are we taking the piss at this time and it's obvious they set the narrative, but I imagine that, you know, they never show you everything in these trailers. So you'll probably end up in like Cuba or whatever, someplace further south, like outside the U.S. I imagine that there's going to be, that's Miami, right? So there's going to be, you go to the Keys or whatever, maybe you end up in Texas. Like I'm sure that there's going to be other locations where they expand the trend. In the same way that they've done that with Red Dead Redemption and the other GTAs in the past, where you just, you know, as you play through it, all of a sudden it just becomes that much larger which also brings me to the question what are sort of the coherent components here like how far in will they go both in terms of like the landscape but also just the, the storyline like yeah you know yeah. where do they carry this so i'm imagining there's going to be other characters along the way yeah you know so but um, it, it looks it looks promising i, I really they, they've given themselves enough space to really 
make a statement of sorts. Yeah, I'm curious also, you know, we haven't spoken yet. Uh, Lucia is not just a woman, but a woman of color. The representation of race was such a key component of Grand Theft Auto San Andreas in particular. And that game is sort of iconic, I think, historically in in getting to, to play a, a black male avatar as your main protagonist. I'm curious to see that I was trying to look at some of, trying to, see if there's been any social media commentary about this yet, but I am curious to see how that's going to develop also, right? Because mm-hmm. Florida is also such a rich space for the intermixing of Latin ethnicities, Afro-Caribbean, right? What will be the angle here, I think is, mm-hmm. is and, and how well researched will it be? It will be a great question. Cameo that I predict will be some of the main characters from Vice City, the OG one. They will show up as older. They will have aged. Oh. Like I've, I've, it's like five bucks says, I'll buy you a drink. I'll buy you a beer if that doesn't happen. That is because- a, that is an excellent and seems like easy prediction. What's the time difference? Is it almost 20 years since Vice City? I believe so, yeah. Like that was late 90s. No, that, Just- was, that was Vice City was 2002. I must have no, played that- it right when it came out. So this is 23 years later. Yeah. Yeah, but see that that one is set in 1986 fictional. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. That's what That's I'm saying. Right. So like, yeah, if the game release. And this, ago, yeah, but... yeah, yeah. This is present day, so we're talking more like a 40 year difference, basically. Yeah. So there's gonna be some old Don or some kind of old gangster. It's like yeah, back in my day, we drive this and we do like it's not how we used to do it. It's really interesting, like to sort of see that these are all, so many of the people at Rockstar are like these. You see the influence of cinema, right? Like Vice City. What I know from Rockstar is that they were very much inspired by, say, a movie like Heat. Mm, right? Yeah. And so, of course, he also did movies like Serpico and a bunch of other moments, sort of like very characteristic movies like that. I'm guessing they're going to have an Al Pacino type character in there that's from that day and it reflects on blah, yeah. blah, blah. That should be a sort of an easy shoe in. That would be an homage, as these game makers would do, think of it, to the film industry that inspires them. Incredible. That's that's how that's going to go. I'm excited. I want to play it now. I'm going to go make sure that my kids have lots of camp in 2025 so that I have a two-week block to go play. Oh, my God. I don't even think I realized this game is still not out for over a year. I was like, ooh, is this happening in February? No, Lane, come on. Can you imagine <laughs> the house has come down and it drops before the holidays. It drops in two weeks. Download start be... at midnight. That would be an incredible, yeah, an incredible win. I I presume I will need to have the new Xbox or PlayStation by the time this comes down. Mm. No, I'm still chugging along on my my Xbox One, but oh, you got to get with the jeez. I mean, I've just been investing in other stuff. I bought a Switch. I I just bought a Steam Deck. We'll t- Don't you get like a budget from NYU? Can't you just like. Okay, I yeah, need- I get a budget that has to cover all of my other shit, including traveling to GDC Ooh. with you, oh, so yeah. going to the Game Developers Conference. We are excited. Our panel just got accepted. We put together a panel called "Game: What's New in Game History? That was somehow the best <laughs> title we could come up with. That's what the but AI shed out for us. Yeah. It's not a winner, but it tells you what's on the can. You know, that's correct. It's going to be a panel where 
Yoast is going to moderate. There's four speakers, me, Phil Salvador from the Video Game History Foundation, Henry Lowood from Stanford University Libraries, and Kendra Alberts from uh, from Harvard. And each of us is going to be parceling off a section of game history production. So I'm going to be giving an update on what's the new writing, publishing, books, articles, stuff like that in game history over the past 12 to 18 months. Uh, mm-hmm. Phil Salvador is going to be talking about new uh, kind of citizen historian, online preservation initiatives, great new work on, on YouTube videos and stuff like that covering game history. Henry Lowood will be talking about new collections, curations, stuff at archives and museums, and Kendra Alberts will be reporting on updates in the U.S. copyright law. My intention was to kind of imagine a renewable format that we can provide every year where Mm. we can show up to the industry and say, hey, this is what's going on in the history of your field. This is what folks are up to. Because otherwise, it's very hard as an academic to be able, if you're not doing game production, to find a way in to GDC if you're not going to talk about doing game design education. There is a strong education track at GDC, but if you're not a design educator, it can be hard to find your place in that setting. So... Um, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I yeah. Be- Yost, did you submit a consultancy talk? Did that get in? No. Uh, you know, the, the uh, I would say, no, demand no, for those tends to be low. No, you didn't submit or no, it didn't get accepted? No, I didn't submit. At, at some point, I want to only give talks that people want to hear. And so if I can't, that's how you do all your work, right? I just couldn't synthesize anything where it's like, eh. GDC is not that conference where they want to hear some guy with a shirt on go off about the state of games. That's a different... Um, different do they different want setting. to hear a guy with his shirt off go on about well, the state of games? Yeah, like a shirtless moderator for a history panel. That's That seemed to be the, the way to go this year. So that's what we do. I just, you ask, I play. No, it's a, it, okay. I couldn't pull it together in time. And it, it also becomes repetitive. Did you see the value for me is also the networking more so than the conference, to be honest. Like I um, I want to optimize my time for seeing the people that I haven't seen in a while, especially post-pandemic. I have so many relationships I want to catch up on. And spending like a day part or two doing conferencing stuff, that, that just cuts into my time there. But I thought the panel that we proposed was actually much more rounded, much more interesting. Like Phil Salvador, he was on the pod, if you recall. These are really interesting people. Henry Lowood, a big fan of his writing. Like He was one of the inspirations for my own dissertation 20 years ago. His Theories of War is amazing. Uh, give him a shout. So I'm excited. So that is so much more interesting to me than do another state of the industry. I'll, I'll do those somewhere else. Very cool. Um, so, you know, we're keeping this episode light. We don't have to be chasing the news like lawyers after an ambulance. So do we... <laughs> My poem of the week is the Newverse layoffs at ByteDance. Just more, mm. more layoffs for the game industry, right? That continues to suck. Definitely a lot of questions for folks who are living and loving in Marvel Snap. But yeah, general thumbs down to mm. more layoffs in the game industry by non-game incumbents that we're trying to figure out how to carve games into their business model and now realizing that maybe that's not the way. So... Lots of sympathy over to everyone over there who just lost their jobs. That's fascinating. The, um, I remember ByteDance spending all this money and writing about like how they were like investing in it so big, you know, such a big way. These things get announced as like these watershed moments in an industry, and then a few years later, it's like, oh, we gave up on that. You know, anybody say Stadia? 
right? It, it so often seems these large, super rich tech companies are going to make this disruptive move. They don't. Most of them are duds, right? And so it's too bad. It's too bad. By dance, you have to raise the question around TikTok and all that. At the same time, the press releases are just that, are just the announcement of the thing, but the thing itself could still just be minuscule. And I yep. guess that's what happened here. Do you have an own for us this week, Yost? I do not. I do not. Well, I think, my... I think the own for this week is how well we nailed the prediction that Emmett Shear would not be... <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap. Would not be head of OpenAI past the end of the year. He wasn't even end of, head of OpenAI for uh, as long as it took to get the podcast out. So, you know, that's another great prediction from the unboxing <laughs> squad. Yes. That was brutal. This poor man. He's like thinking, oh my God. I mean, I'm not, let's not poor man, some guy with a multi-million dollar, you know, like. Don't be like that. But you can get excited (laughs) for stuff, right? So you're like, oh my God, I was going to have this black and white cookie and here it is. And then people go like, nope. That's just disappointing. I did hear through one of my connections a little closer to the Silicon Valley vibe that one of the reasons that Emmett Shear was picked is because he also participates in that sort of West Coast effective altruism scene and that Sam Altman may also be adjacent to and in that sense was seen as sort of ideologically in alignment and and therefore, you know, seemed like a a pick in keeping with that kind of philosophy. That was one of the reads uh, a friend of mine who's a bit closer to the action had on the situation, which I thought was an illuminating take because otherwise you can't, you know, Emmett Shear has been a pretty... It's not like there's gobs written about this guy, you know? Emmett, we hardly knew you. We hardly knew you. Yeah, are you still head of Twitch? I guess, you know. <laughs> you know what's the uh, what's the severance package for some... being CEO of OpenAI for uh, 36 hours? Like, the thing is, if you go, like, what, what I really miss is 300 years ago, sort of Shakespearean drama. At least people would, at that level where you would always look to the rich and the nobles and the royals to provide these like interesting gossipy narratives. Like at least they would stab each other every once in a while. These are just like people <laughs> elbowing over positions. Like it's such a boring, like, come on, like somebody like cheat on someone. Come on. a little. Oh, you want, you want some like Shakespearean high drama, yeah, like someone somebody run off with something. somebody else's wife, you know, something. Okay. like somebody turn out to be not what you expect him. Oh my God. He's yeah, a werewolf, be, whatever. Like something. So, yeah. Someone become a ghost, you know, whatever. Yeah. Is, it, is that Yost, that much to ask? <laughs> Yost, do you want to give a quick little preview of the interview we're going we're gonna to have on next yeah, week's episode? We're pushing it to next week because of GTA. Kayla Kanunen and I spoke over the summer as part of our ongoing conversation around the creator economy. Kayla runs the marketplace for Minecraft. And so it's a really insightful conversation for me personally, and I think for our listeners as well, about how... Microsoft and Minecraft see this idea of having users make assets for the game and how that how you make that work from a design perspective, from a product perspective. Um, so I look forward to sharing that. That's It's all ready to go for next week. I'll send some more information as we get closer to it, but that's something to look forward to. Kayla is, was very generous with her time and it was a really interesting conversation. So, so look for that. Awesome. Can't wait to hear more about it. And on that note, everybody... Go form your own opinions, reactions, thoughts about the GTA 6 trailer. Let us know what you think in the comments. And otherwise, good night and good game.